Rule number one by Phil Town. One sentence summary. Rule number one hands you the reins of personal investing, even if you've never held them before, by using a few simple rules from Warren Buffett's value investing approach to guide you towards financial independence. My favorite quote from the author is, I buy every company that I look at as if it's the only company my uncle will let me buy. Phil Town. It sure makes for a good story how Phil Town turned a $1,000 investment into $1.45 million over five years. More than that, it sure is a convincing argument to listen to his advice, which he gladly shares with those who choose to listen. His advice is neither mumbo-jumbo nor particularly new. After all, it's based on Warren Buffett's criteria for picking sound businesses to invest in. Phil only distilled it in a way that makes it easy to apply. Even if you are not a stock market aficionado and don't have hours to spend looking at charts every day. Here are three lessons from rule number one to help you start investing without overthinking. 1. Imagine you're buying the whole company. 2. Look for moats around the businesses you invest in. 3. Have a margin of safety of at least 50% for each stock you buy. Ready to invest yourself to wealth? Let's do it. Rule number one, lesson one. Always imagine you're buying the whole company, not just some shares. This answers the question, how should you look at each and every single one of your single individual investments? Even Warren Buffett doesn't buy all the businesses he invests in in full, but he sure acts as if he did. When you go into an investment thinking, hey, if they screw up, I can always sell my stocks, then you mustn't wonder if that's exactly what will happen. Your investment into a business is a vote for that business to continue its practice as it operates today. Therefore, if you're investing in a business using shady tactics like child labor or extortion, you're condoning and even encouraging this shitty business to continue. So, before you invest, ask yourself this. Would you buy the whole business if you could? Much harder to overlook sleazy practices now, isn't it? What this question does is force you to be a lot more cautious, make better decisions and do your homework. Now you'll want to learn as much about the company as you can and maybe even limit yourself to investing only in an area which you know and work in yourself. Rule number one, lesson two. Try to spot what moats a company has built around itself. This answers the question... How can we make investments that are, we're sure are going to be around within a few years and that they won't go bankrupt? In case you don't know what a moat is, it's the kind of deep trenches castles in the Middle Ages built around them and filled with water in order to keep enemies at bay. Warren Buffett famously explained his idea of economic moats around companies in a talk once. He sums it up in a single question. How much damage could I do if you gave me $100 million and I went head to head with that company? For example, with Coca-Cola, this wouldn't get you very far. It's one of the strongest brands in the world, and people will always choose it over other, less famous soda brands. Heck, shoeless jungle kids somewhere deep in the Amazon rainforest will turn up wearing Coca-Cola shirts, a kind of presence that sure makes for a wide moat. Other moats could be patents, like Pfizer's Viagra patent, which kept it ahead of the competition for 20 years. Walmart built a good moat too, by using its cheap prices to own, open more stores and get more sales, which in turn led to a bigger negotiation power with suppliers to offer even cheaper prices. 
Another kind of moat can come from government regulations, for example when you are the only legally allowed supplier of electric power or public transport. Lastly, if your product is crap but it's impossible to switch <coughs> Windows, that can also be a moat. A moat keeps a company afloat for years to come, ensuring future profits thanks to a kind of monopoly position. Rule number one, lesson three. Make sure you have a margin of safety of at least 50% for each stock you buy. This answers the question, how can you minimize your losses in stock investing? One of Warren Buffett's most famous quotes is this, price is what you pay, value is what you get. Contrary to popular belief, the market is not efficiently reflecting company values in stock prices. That difference is your advantage. On a side note, stock prices are indeed tricky to calculate. But luckily, there are some online tools that make it a lot easier nowadays. Some of them can be found in a book called The Little Book That Still Beats the Market. By making sure that the margin of safety, that is, the actual value per share based on your evaluation of the company, minus the current stock price, is large enough, it's almost impossible to lose money on an investment. For example, if you research Apple in great detail and determine its value comes out to at least, say, $200 per stock, while the stocks are currently priced at $100 per stock, then that's a margin of safety of 50%, which is the threshold Filtown recommends to ensure before pressing the order button. Here's what I learned from rule number one by Phil Town. I would like to make some addendums to this to this summary. Some things I've picked up from Warren Buffett talks, from his ideas, reading stuff around. And then I want to make one note about investing related to your age. So first, some little tidbits here and there. So imagine you're buying the whole business. It was funny. On another summary that I recorded today, I was talking about how when you go to the grocery store, you spend, you vote with your money, right? You make, and that vote is way more important than your vote in some government election because that happens almost every day. You go to the grocery store and if you buy, let's say, a Dairy Queen chocolate, right? In that moment, you say to Dairy Queen chocolate, hey, I want you to continue to make this product. That's what you're doing. And if you're buying a shitty product or if you're buying a product where you know it's shitty or if you're buying a product where you know the company is shitty, then you are voting against, maybe not against your conscience, that depends on your conscience, but you're basically voting for this bad bad procedure to continue. And so it's the same with investing, really, right? And with investing, it's a bit more tricky because you want this, this business to return money. And voting for a business, for a bad one, uh, expecting for it to produce a return would be an immoral way of making money, right? So I'm always hesitant. I think I've invested once in maybe an oil company or like a pharmaceuticals company or something like that. And I don't really like doing that because, you know, it's not the kind of behavior actually or not the kind of business I want to encourage to continue like pharma giants, stuff like that. So, and, and while I was reading that, I realized something. I I own Snapchat stock, right? I have a bunch of Snapchat stock because I got it early when it came out and I figured, man, if this is going to do a Facebook, a, a 10x, 100x, whatever it is, 
um, then I want to be part of that. And right now, when the stock comes out, I mean, it's going to go down maybe. Okay, it did actually. It was cut in half or so. But actually, I, I remember reading multiple articles about Snapchat having shitty business practices and being like treating employees like shit and stuff like that. So I need to dig that up again and find that out because if that's the case, then I wouldn't want own all of Snapchat, right? Because I think Snapchat might actually go downhill solely based on treating people badly. So that's really important in evaluating your investments. <clears throat> now, the moat idea. Uh, I basically put everything in the answer I was going to say. The whole, give me $100 million and then let's see how much damage we can do. Another one, for example, is Nike. It's probably the most recognizable brand in the world. Definitely the most recognizable sports brand. But you couldn't get far with $100 million against Nike. Everyone knows Nike. It's insane. Um the whole monopoly position, it usually as it can come from innovation too, right? So, for example, Google has a kind of monopoly on search because at one point they had 80-90% of the search market. And this allows, because they're so much better than the competition, like 10x better at least, this allows them to collect all the profits, which you might say, ah, oh, that's kind of bad, it's monopoly and so on. But actually, this sort of boosts innovation, right? Because it gives them money to do more awesome stuff and come up with um, come up with good new technology, while the rest of the competition is way, way behind. Um, I was going to talk more about the moat idea, but actually, I remember one thing I wanted to tell you. I think the investor is called, his name is David Swenson. And I think he's a, he's a professor at, I don't know, Harvard or something. And he's also an investor. And he has a, a phenomenal track record. And what he does is he actually has a margin of safety of... No, don't let me screw this up. I think it's 4x. So basically, I think his margin of safety would be... I don't want to say a wrong percentage right now. Basically, what he does is he makes sure that one out of five investments will will at least keep him in the clear in terms of uh, numbers. So basically, he says, if I put in $1, I expect to get at least $5 out, right? So it's a, he wants at least to 5x his investment. So he says, if I invest into this, I expect $1 to turn into $5. Now, that might not happen and I might lose that dollar. Okay, but if I do that in five different investments and I can find five different investments where I can expect to make one dollar, turn one dollar into five, then statistically speaking, one of them has to work. And and if just one of them works and I lose all the other ones, then I lost four dollars and got five dollars back and I'm still at one dollar and I can still continue playing the same game. So basically, that's just a larger margin of safety. But I think that's a really cool approach. And that's a similar approach I took or I'm taking. I started cryptocurrency investing recently. Um, and for each of the coins that I look at that I want to invest in, I say, you know, does this have a chance of making me 5x my money? And if it does, I can put it in and I expect it to go to 5x. And if it does, I'll pull out my initial investment and take it elsewhere. And if not, I bet on the other ones that do try to do the same thing or hopefully will do the same thing. And if they don't work out, then at least I'll never, quote-unquote, lose my initial investment. Now, of course, this is statistically speaking, you could do, still invest five times and lose everything, but it's very unlikely, right? So the bigger your margin of safety is, the less investments you'll make overall, the total number of investments will be lower, but you can expect a higher return overall, and you have to be less worried about losing your money. Now, one last note about losing your money and about investing in age. Here's the thing. The younger you are, the more risky investments you can and should make right? 
So I was talking to a friend, we were talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and that stuff. And we were like, man, like it's time for us. Like we need to get on this train because if it's really the big thing we think it might be, then we'll kick ourselves for missing it in, I don't know, two years, four years, six years, 10 years. And he was like, yeah, but I don't have any money and we don't have that much to invest and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, think about it this way. I'm not saying you should, but if you took a loan that was like $10,000, or if you say you had $10,000 in the bank, you like that's your savings or, or most of your savings. Let's say you took that and you put it everything in crypto right now. And, you know, it goes up, it goes down, you take some out and maybe in the end, like it all goes, it all goes to hell. And you lost $10,000. I'm like, dude, you're about to graduate from a great school in Germany. You're going to get like a kick-ass job that's paying you shitloads of money in a year or two. Now, how's that $10,000 going to look then? Like, is that much for you to make back and to sort of save again? And he's like, no, actually not, right? Like, it's easy. And that's the whole point. The younger you are and the earlier in your career you are, the more money you'll expect to make back later, right? As you grow, as you get promoted or build your own business, whatever it is. But you can expect to make more money down the line. So it's not a big deal if you lose 10,000 bucks when you're 20. But if you lose 10,000 bucks when you're 75, and that might be a problem, right? So the older you get, the less risky your investments should become. And so... Basically, what I'm saying is if you're young, don't be afraid to make investments and don't be afraid to lose some money there because most of us waste money on a whole bunch of other shit that's way more useless where we know exactly what the return is going to be like alcohol, a gym membership like that we don't use, you know, going to the cinema. Like there's a ton of stuff we do that where the return is much, much less rewarding financially, right? So it's it shouldn't be a big deal for us to say, you know what, I'm going to take a bunch of my savings, not all of it, I don't advise that, but I'm going to take a bunch and if I lose it, that's that's okay. So always define upfront how much you're willing to lose, but remember, if you're young, you can probably make it back pretty fast. That's my review and take on rule number one by Phil Town. I hope you enjoyed and I will see you on the next summary.